I'm Sarah Greenman, and this is Collaborative Alchemy. My guest today is Marla Teolia, founder and CEO of Culture Shift Agency, a consulting and coaching firm whose mission is to advance the holistic leadership development of women of color and their allies. Today, we're talking about spiritual mentorship, reclaiming our power, and why liberation is an inside job. There was a part of me that thought that the medicine that needed to be shared was outside of myself, that the medicine was like, it was indigenous teachings, it was practices, but it felt like it it still was coming from something external. What came through was, no, your story is the medicine. Marla is a highly sought after workplace strategist and transformational leadership coach who mentors high achieving executives that are hoping to lead from their most deeply held values. Y'all, she is pure magic. She specializes in working with individuals who want to develop presence, build inclusive teams, and overcome limiting conversational patterns and gracefully navigate difficult conversations. Yes, please. Welcome to the show, Marla Teolia. I'm so excited to be hosting you here. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, Truly an honor to share space with you. We haven't seen each other in so long, so this feels good. For those of us who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Gosh, where do I start? Okay, Marla, Teolia. (laughs) I am a mother to almost 15-year-old twins. I am a partner, wife to my beloved for maybe like, God, I can't even count now, maybe like 26 years, 27 years, I think is when we're this year. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I am a daughter uh, to my Nervicacius who actually lives with us. So we have a multi-generational household. I am a mother to a four-legged fur baby who's at my feet. I am a business owner. Uh, founder and CEO of a company called Culture Shift Agency. Um, I'm a space holder uh, for transformation and healing. I am a student of life and yoga and meditation and bridging ancient healing modalities with like new technologies. And um, I feel like I, I like to think of myself as someone who's like a grower of like food (laughs) and of people. And then I recently was taking an herbalism class and we were talking about a relationship to plants. And I realized that I hadn't really, really grown in like 10 years. Like I used to grow all of our food and I've since then have moved around the country um, and been in different rentals and properties where it's like, I can do something small. And then in Atlanta, we were there for a few years and I had a garden there, but then we moved. So I, I see, I think that's part of my story and it's part of my reclaiming. Yeah. Um, but I feel as someone who's very much connected to land and to water um, and to seasons. You so speak about means. what you're connected to, which I love. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me what belonging means to you and feels like to you. Hmm. Belonging feels grounded. It feels earthy. It feels embodied and belonging to self and spirit first. Mm. I think belonging also feels like being seen, right? For like the fullness of who I am, Um, being valued and honored for that. And 
it feels free and it feels familiar and it feels reflected. It feels easy. Feels easy. Yeah. I feel like so much of the work that you do to hold space for others mm-hmm. seems to be like you're paving a pathway to belonging or mm. um, sort of leading them in the direction of their own self-leadership. And, yeah. And, I appreciate that because when you asked the question, that was the first image that came up was around belonging to self and supporting people to belong to themselves first. Right. And I think we get so pulled with our multiple roles and, and identities and um, who we are in the world and how we navigate our lives that we don't feel like we belong to ourselves. Like we belong yeah. to our jobs. We belong to our, our, you know, little people if we have them. Like we belong to all these roles and responsibilities and not really to ourselves. Yeah. Um, so that, like so many images came up when you uh, asked the question. Yeah. I'm always interested in origin stories, and I think about your work as um, a culture shifter and a change agent and a space holder. And I wonder what life experience or experiences um, or events have really galvanized you and like shaped your trajectory that you can look. I mean, sometimes things happen, right? And we're like, we don't know that it's shaping us in the moment. But as we look back, we're like, that was a really, really a galvanizing moment that pushed me in the direction of my purpose driven work now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so interesting when you when you ask first origin story, like my mind goes to like little Marla, right? Like (laughs) being raised right by the border. And I'm the only um, person in my family who um, was born here in what is known as the United States. Everybody else is born in what was known as Mexico or is known as Mexico. And I came and was born during a time where I think my mom was in a lot of turmoil Mm. and um, relation, her relationship and the trauma and the drama for that. And, and so I think that that kind of fighter energy has always been in me. And I was like the only girl, right? And I had these <laughs> two big brothers who were like 8 and 12 years older than me. And they were total like badasses and always messing with me. And like I always feel like I had to kind of like fight for myself, you know? And, you know, I was always packing my little suitcase all the time, like threatening I was leaving. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're like, I'm out. I'm out. It's just, I'm out. Um, and so, so I think that there's a way in which I also felt deeply loved and wanted, right? Like, so mm-hmm. that feels like, I know what that feels like to be deeply loved and to be deeply nourished and wanted and, um, protected almost as a little Mexican girl, you know, and who was, you know, in a house that had a lot going on. Like there was, it wasn't an easy place to be. And, um, and I think sometimes when you, not sometimes, I would say most times actually, when you were raised in environments that can feel like trauma or where there's alcoholism, alcoholism or where there's just intensity, most of the time you, you kind of build a, your intuition is really strong, right? Because you have to walk in. You don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you don't know what's going to jump off in any moment. So you kind of really create this sense of like, okay, not, yeah, I'm on alert, but I'm also just like, I can read people's behaviors, right? I can, I can see something before it's going to happen because you're, like, you're already primed. And so I think for me, there's a way in which taking what could be trauma as making it also like a superpower because I – in the way in which I work with people, even if we're working, the majority of my work is um, virtual. Like I will feel, 
like it's what I'd explain it's almost like what I know to be a superpower is that when I am in a space with uh, someone I'm working with and we hit on either a truth or a wound or like we've got to the seed of something pure, like my whole body just rushes. Like Mm. it's like full on, like from my feet all the way up, like I will get goosebumps, but it's a very visceral sensation. So I know we haven't gotten there and I don't know necessarily like what your story is and where it's going to lead us, but I know we get to something that's like super pure. And so there's a very like physical kind of embodied experience. And I think I've, I've always had that because I almost had to have it, right? Like I had yeah. to have this yeah. kind of level of awareness. And, um, and so I've, I, that's been one of the ways in which I work. You know, it is one of the superpowers that I feel like I have. So there's that piece. So there's like the little Marla. I think that was just an evolution. I was always kind of questioning and seeing like what is next and, um, and that there had to be something beyond where I was raised and, and all the kind of cultural expectations that came from being a young Mexican first gen girl raised by the border in a kind of, I would say working a middle-class background. And I knew that there was like, I, there's a whole world that I'm interested in exploring. Right. Um, And so then I went and lived that world, right. I went and moved uh, when I was 18 up to the Bay area to go to school and then moved to New York in 96 to go to grad school. And I think that is another flashpoint that came up when you asked the question Yeah. in terms of what's defined my life. Um, I went to Columbia for grad school and it was the first time that I wasn't living in California, that I wasn't surrounded by majority Mexican folks. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of the foods were new, like Mexicans were um, at that time were like very much from Oaxaca and like I'm from the North. So we just look really different. And yeah. um it was hard. I remember feeling like I lived in the mission in San Francisco where you could get like this amazing burrito for three twenty five, and like moving <laughs> to New York, and it was $7 and it sucked. And I was like, oh my God. So there were all these things. And then I went to Columbia and it was this like a grad program that was um, majority white women. Um, yeah. And it was a social work uh, program. And so there was a lot of like white saviorism and helperism in that. And so... It almost, I don't feel like it computed to have somebody who was like intellectually equal or dare I say even better at school, you know, and um, to see me as a leader and like the fullness of who I was. So I experienced a lot of animosity, a lot of um, microaggressions, a lot of just challenges and it had nothing to do with this. I was still getting A's. Like it had nothing to do with actual coursework. And um, and so add that on top of all the other like shifts of moving across the country. And so I I felt so within six, maybe not even six months, I would say three to four months, I felt like, oh my God, like I could see the anxiety. I could see like depression. I could see and feel that like, this is like, I am not feeling well. Yeah. And New York energetically, I'm from California, which is like total driving culture. And even though I lived in San Francisco, like I had a car to move to to New York and live in Brooklyn and Park Slope and go to Columbia and Morningside Heights. That's an hour commute in like sardine-like conditions and a train. Like I would be wiped out by the time I got there just energetically. And I don't even know that I knew that at that time. I just was exhausted by the time I got there. And so in this moment of feeling like I was in real crisis, my husband then boyfriend uh was visiting and 
I was just kind of explaining just what I was going through. And he's like, you know, I have somebody you might want to talk to. And she's this um, elder, um, amazing African-American woman who she does a lot of like spiritual work, but she kind of like does this, like talks to your guides and, you know, I don't know if that's your thing. And I was like, sure. And then I start talking to her and, you know, she starts like the ritual of how she begins her, her kind of ceremony. And the first words out of her mouth are, Oh, your ancestors have been calling for you. And I just started crying. Marla. And yeah. And so it, was, it, it ended up being like this beautiful beginning to what is a, you know, 27 year relationship with her she ended up marrying us um and i consider her this amazing powerful mentor and spiritual guide for me and she set me on a path of what it looked like to reclaim my power and that was very much centered on ancestral practices on meditation and it kind of started me on this path of like i was doing all this spiritual work and i got into some yoga then i did kind of, uh, I became vegan for 13 years. So it was almost like cleansing from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there was something really powerful about being in what felt like a really toxic environment in my home with those roommates and then at school. And at one point I was asked by the department to, if I would be part of um, training incoming freshmen. For the following year and so they have you kind of go through the training again right so yeah, you experience yeah. it as a participant and so I had done the training earlier on when we got there and I remember feeling like rating myself really low in terms of power like on these you know you had to do privilege walks and like all these right. Stuff, right and um rating myself really really low except for like a few identities around citizenship or light skin privilege or you know things like that and then when I went back to do the workshop as a participant so that I could be a trainer. Yeah. I rated myself totally high. And at that moment, I realized like nothing externally had changed, but my liberation was an inside job. Like it had nothing. Mm-hmm. Yes, could it have been easier? Absolutely. Sure. But everything, like the environment and the system was still the system. <laughs> but I had shifted yeah. and I felt powerful and I felt strong. And so that for me has very much defined the course of my work because I work with my heart work is like the BIPOC leaders that are in toxic environments. And I feel like they've kind of lost their sea legs and they're, they're, they don't have their footing and they're trying to figure out who they are in these spaces where um, white supremacy structures and environments are constantly telling like showing them and telling them that they're other and it's a level of violence that I know intimately yeah and I know what the impact is on your mind body spirit so for me that is like my soul work um and then there's many I would say evolutions from Mm -hmm. that time right I I ended up training with the curandera maestra Elena Avila who discounted bus she passed away but studied with her as an apprentice for four years um so I I find it interesting that I wasn't necessarily going to more Western ways for my healing because I realized yeah. the, West, the West was what was hurting me. Totally. <laughs> tell us, for those who don't know, what a curandera is. Yeah, so curandera is um, a direct translation would be almost like a Mexican shaman, right? A Mexican traditional healer, essentially. Yeah. Um, and she was very much a generalist. So she um, had been a trained psychiatric nurse. 
and um, really recognize the not only just the power of indigenous and, and traditional folk healing, but recognize the emptiness of the kind of allopathic model, right? Or like the Western medical model. Yeah. And, um, so that training was very much about how do you, when, when someone is in front of you, how do you work with them to heal mind, body, spirit? And that it's so deeply connected. Um, and there's a beautiful aspect of the work that is like when you greet with curanderas you kind of greet like heart to heart like you put one heart you you, you do this hug that it's like mm. two-sided right and it's you're greeting your hearts the work is like based in like a platica in this training which is like a talk right so you're having a heart-to-heart discussion and that is sets the foundation for your healing with your with mm-hmm. the curandera and the word that is used is like my favorite word in Spanish, and it's called to desahogar, which means to undrown yourself. Undrown so, yourself. Yes, it's a beautiful word. And oh it's God. basically this like convert's heart talk conversation to undrown yourself, right? And mm-hmm. so the idea is that we're holding it all inside. And, and as we're in that kind of sacred container to be able to just be fully seen and heard and share where we're wounded and where we're suffering, like it helps you undrown yourself and then there's like a, a physical practice and depending on how the curandera has been trained you might use herbs you use an egg there might be body work right but it's like then right. all of that energy now is on your your physical outer body and so you're helping the the um the practitioner is helping them release that energy and kind of smooth that energy out mm. so that um is also how i've been trained right so when i was in grad school i had a clinical training and then i um was trained with elena and then had my own kind of apprenticeship with uh, Asana Makaru, who was the elder who helped me. And I did other work, right? I did like, yeah, yeah the coaching thing and I did a workshop. And so for me, I bridge like the, e- the I won't even say East because it's very indigenous. I just right. bridge traditional and my ancestral, yeah, to with um, some of the quote leadership development or the brass practices. And um, that's the space I live in. I also hear you pointing at using um, and imbibing and inviting these indigenous and ancestral ways as a center for how we move forth as leaders. Um, Absolutely. And that creates value, right? Because that is not a tradition or a way Mm-hmm. or um, um, a pathology that we value in Western mm-hmm. culture at all. And so mm-hmm. I love that you have completely centered those pathways uh, for for your clients. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think we've traditionally done it. If anything, it's there was an active stamping out of indigenous ah, practices, right? Totally. So, um, Erasure. Absolutely. And, yeah. and the level of violence that came with that. And... You know, I just finished a session about an hour before you and I spoke with a leader um, and like, like a senior leader, right? And this is like a culture maker and somebody's like making films and some of the work we're doing was like, it was yoga nidra, you know, and there's a a specific practice I was trained with Tracy Stanley and um, by her book, Radiant Rest, it's phenomenal. Um, And she had opened me up to a practice that was like a 
I call it embodied affirmation. It's like a yoga nidra practice and you're placing in kind of a mantra, your sankalpa, your soul's kind of deepest longing into these 61 energy points of your body, right? Mm. And so I just came and shared that practice with him after like six sessions. So we've been working together for about three months until we got to distill like what is what needs to be healed within him to be a good leader, right? Yeah. And and so for me, like, if you're going to work with me, like, we have, we're going to go to those places, right? Like, I'm not a fit, I'm not a good fit for you if you're not willing to go right. to these deep uh, places or you just want me to do, like, type A strategy, which I can work with you on, but that's, like, doesn't, it's not generative for me in any way, right. really. Right. But I do feel like, and this is, like, a white man, like, middle-aged white man from, you know, Midwest. Like, these right. are, right? Like, so I don't just work with BIPOC leaders. And... That is like the heart of my work, but it's not the only part of the work. So I recognize we need allies in that space to create more liberatory environments. Yeah. But this is like a guy from the Midwest right, who is like, is like, heck yeah, let's do it. And so I do think there's an opening because we're recognizing the intensity of where we're at. Yeah. And if that anything, that is one of the, dare I say, gifts of the pandemic. Like, we got to do shit differently. Oh, totally. And and people who were like really asleep to that were like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, there's been so many gifts of the pandemic. And I think that there's a kind of veil that has dissipated for some folks between um, their rejection of their ancient and more ancestral ways mm-hmm. and sort of, and are now waking up to it. The subtle is becoming mm-hmm. more forward for so many of us, I think. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, and then I think with that, there's also huge backlash, right? Like you see that as well. Totally. So we're in that, those times that I feel like so many indigenous cosmology belief systems have predicted. Yes. <laughs> right. We're just living in them and, it doesn't make it easy, but I do think it helps, at least for me, it helps tether me yeah. to what I know to be true and what I know to be true about what I want my role to be. Yeah. You are an extremely creative human. I know this about you personally, but how do you think creativity shows up for you in this work? Yeah. And where does it show up? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I think it's something that I've really been kind of grappling with. I think when you're doing work that feels can feel hard, right? Like I'm holding space for people's deepest stuff. Yeah. And yeah. and helping people see the systems that they're not necessarily always seeing because they haven't had to, right? Um the work can feel heavy. Mm. And I feel like play has gotten away from me. And the last few years, I've tried to be more intentional. And this year, I feel like I have been more intentional about it, right? So um, the other day, I went, like, I bought some roller skates. I went roller skating with a girlfriend, right? Um, <laughs> which was, that like, is so like, fun. Joy. That's yeah, no, it was totally fun. Like, we were, we were at a... Uh, middle school in the parking lot right because we're both like we were both roller skates as kids but whoa feeling a little wobbly and so at one point and she's african-american woman and i'm mexican woman so this white woman walks by and she's like wait are you guys teachers here and we're like no she's like oh my god you're just rocking two moms rocking out and we're like yes (laughs) because we had like my girlfriend had brought her little speaker we had like disco music going on and we were just (laughs) going round and round it was so much fun right Oh my gosh, that's its own kind of ancestral magic too. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was yeah. so awesome, right? And um, 
And so I've been trying to be more intentional. In 2020, I had said, you know, I want to work smarter and I'm going to work four days a week because I was feeling so burnt. And so Mondays were like my day to not be client facing. It was like filling up my well. But I still felt like things still fell into it. Like it's hard when you're trying to disrupt old patterns, especially the pattern of productivity and working and, you know. So in 2021, I was like, I'm keeping that. I'm, I'm still doing this. I'm needing it. But I was more intentional to like give myself that time. And this year, now that we're in California and the world has opened up for us more, I've been much more intentional about going to the beach on Mondays. It's been beautiful here. And so for me, the creativity is just giving myself the space to unwind and unfurl in order for creative visions and energy to come forth. So one of the things that I want to do is write a book. And please write a book. Please. Oh my gosh, Marla. I'm here for it. Thank you. I I appreciate it. And I receive all that reinforcing. (laughs) It's super scary. And, um, and so what I recognized in my real putting the intentions out this year to like take Mondays off and leave, just even in the driving, I was getting information about what the book needed to be. Like, I would just like pull up my voice memo, like open voice memo and like voice note and like just start speaking into my phone as things were coming. So the creativity has looked like creating space to just see what will emerge. And And you say getting information, where do you like somatically, how does that feel to you when you like receive? It's, I'm really mental and, and I'm really, it's funny. I'm really, really mental and very, intellectual and analytical which can also be my Achilles heel Mm -hmm. and I'm also incredibly like sensory oriented right like I remember once walking into a store and it was like a textile store and I was like looking for something I was like touching all the fabrics and the woman's like are you a designer because actually just the way that you touch and like you're such like so I'm super tactile and so for me it starts off as like a mental rumination And as I was driving, and then it was like, oh, like there was a sense of like (sighs) the exhale and then an opening, Mm. like almost a lightening of my own kind of uh, heaviness that I'm holding with with the intensity of what my days can be like. So when I can release myself from that, it feels light and it feels like an opening in my chest and in my heart space. And, um, and I think when I can give myself the freedom to just be and play in that, then like the thoughts start coming. And I, I really see them as downloads. And it was like, oh my God, this is, oh, okay. You know, and just had to like capture them on, on voice memos to myself as I was driving. You've also started um, a pretty robust journal practice. Yes. So I wouldn't even say I've started. I feel like I've had, right? So um, I, about maybe, I I don't even know how many months ago it was. I think it was in the fall, early fall. I had a vision. I can't remember if it was a dream because I I get a lot in dreams or whether it was like a vision or meditation. might have been during meditation, honestly, because I can't think of the dream as much. But I had this flash and I was sitting on a bed surrounded by journals, like all of my journals. And I was in the desert Mm -hmm. and I was going through each journal and reading 
what was written and pulling out the medicine I knew needed to be shared and burning the rest. And so I did that. I kind of knew that it needed to happen. And I booked myself an Airbnb in Joshua Tree and took all of my journals because I have a, a trunk full of journals. And we had cleaned out my mom's, some of my mom's house while she moved out here with us. And so there were bags of things that she'd kept that were mine. And there were journals in there. Wow. And so I, t- in total, I took about 40 journals with me. Oh my gosh. There's yes. just this, this image of you showing up with this car with this <laughs> trunk full of like paper totally. and words. <laughs> and it was so deep because it was like I had them in like two bags and they were heavy. And I was mm. like, wow, like what? have I been holding literal weight of your story literally yeah and the first book I started with was one from when I was in eighth grade oh my god so it was really powerful to go through all of these journals and witness with compassion some of my struggles parts of my story also see that oh there's some clear themes here Mm. that I had from like eighth grade into the forties, like, whoa, okay. There's some clear themes. Yeah. And you know, the universe is, has jokes. So one of the themes was around fear, like physical safety. Yeah. I was a little kid who was very, um, I was really frail. Like I was really super skinny, tiny. Like, um, I was born, I think like five pounds and left the hospital like four or something. Right. I was a really small yeah. kid. My mom is from that like old school tradition. Like everything is you go to a doctor and we live right by the borders. You always go get antibiotics and like from the the pharmacies, um, you know, in Mexico. And so I think that deeply informed like a level of like hypochondriac, you know, in me that was like, oh my God, am I going to die? Like if something's wrong, it's like all of a sudden it's cancer. It's like something like, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like throughout the years, like I've healed that and then it'll rear its head and I've healed that and it'll rear its head. Isn't so, that always the way with growth? You're like, I have yes. personally grown, checkbox. <laughs> yeah. Like, ha, funny. So I drove to Joshua Tree. People who know Joshua Tree are going to laugh. Like I did not, it did not compute to me that it was high desert and like I was going to go up elevation. I don't do well in elevation. <laughs> So, and the last few times I have been in elevation, like I've gotten really sick. Oh no. Yeah. Right. So, um, once I was six months pregnant with the twins in Santa Fe and by oh, yeah. the second time being in the ER, the doctor's like, you need to get to sea level. So, so it's a thing, right? Yeah. That I don't fully compute until I'm there. And so as I'm driving up, I start realizing like, oh shit. This is really high and I'm by myself. So all these fears started coming up, right? So I started like looking up like, okay, how high is Santa Fe? How high is Joshua Tree? Like recognizing it's not, I mean, it is different, but not that different. Like I'm really high up. Yeah. And so I was in a a beautiful spot that was this kind of modern vibe and half of the house was like windows which I didn't realize to the second night that you could close them with the like remote. So I felt super exposed. Right, you're in a fishbowl. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's only like a, a fence around half of the property and the rest is just open. Why? So I felt so deeply exposed. I was really having to wrestle with fear. 
Mm. Right. And so to be able to like have this internal dialogue that's happening in the moment, not sleeping well, because I'm hearing all these noises that's so windy and I'm freaking out. And then going through these journals and recognizing that fear had been a theme was like, oh, wow, universe, you are funny. Like you are just like, so it was a really amazing and powerful trip. Um, Because by the end, I, I did pull out the medicine that needed to be shared and I did burn everything down. Right, and um, left a lot lighter. Oh, wow, Marla. Did you do a lot of writing while you were there, or were you mostly just no. working with the journals that you had written? Yeah, it was just going through each one. And, and some journals were processy stuff. Some yeah. things had really clear medicine. Some things had real important lessons. Some things were just like, oh, God, I'm sick of this story. Let's keep on turning the page. But it was powerful to recognize, like, everything I'd been holding, Yeah, you know, um, because I was holding it, and I physically walked in with it. And by the time I left, like, that bag was so much lighter. Like, I brought a few journals back that were like, oh, this is actually a work, workshop that I take. And, you know what I mean, that I, I didn't mean to bring that blend or whatever. But that was a powerful experience. And This is why I love journaling as a practice, a way to sort of mirror back to ourselves the trajectory Absolutely. And especially if you keep them right over time and you can kind of start seeing this, like these patterns. And when I came back, there was such a spaciousness that I recognized when I was in integration that was like that center. I was like, I felt so much lighter. Mm. I felt so much spaciousness within my own body. And that was just delicious. Well, it's interesting because after you came home from that, um, you stepped away, I think, from social media for a while. Like you took mm-hmm. even more space, which I loved yeah. seeing you just like claim that space. And you recently came back. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and have you here because you shared with us this idea of not hiding your gifts anymore mm-hmm. and really like showing yourself, getting visible. Yeah. And I want to know a little bit more about that impulse, that impetus, yeah. and how that's working through you now. So I have a pretty strong meditation practice. It's yeah. one of my like consistent practices. Um, and I'll get downloads. And usually they're just for me. And then there was one that was like very clearly like, oh, this needs to be shared. And I think this is a conditioning. I can definitely speak from like a Mexican woman tradition. I think I can speak of it as a a woman in this country (laughs) around not fully claiming or using our voice or those other ways of being as fully valid, like that there's a questioning. And um, I think through Catholicism and, and Mexican culture, a lot of like, there's something called Marianismo. There's like a suffering, like a suffering in silence, right? That happens that engenders a lot of behaviors that are acceptable or not acceptable. So you don't want to shine, like shine brightly, but you don't want to shine too bright. Cause also if you shine too bright, you know, it could be, that's an unsafe situation too. And so I think it was a lot of that conditioning that I've had to really work through the sharing of the gifts. Like there was something that, felt so clear during that time that it was like some of this parts of this journey have to be shared. And it when you saw that post, it all felt really new and tender and vulnerable, you know? And what I really have come to, I would say months now, there was still a part of me when I was going through that process of going through all the journals and pulling out the medicine there was a part of me that thought that the medicine 
that needed to be shared was outside of myself. And that the medicine was like, it was indigenous teachings, it was practices, but it felt like it, it still was coming from something external. And so that was creating this gap for me that I didn't feel like I could fill. It was like, well, it was filled with, well, who are you to do this? Like, you know what I mean? It, it, all this like self-doubt. And that moment where I'm sharing with you that I, earlier this year, I'm driving to the ocean. What I recognized, what came through was, no, your story is the medicine. No, your life is the medicine. Like being reflected and showing another way of healing that you've reclaimed your power and your agency by connecting deep to practices that make you whole. That is the medicine. And people don't want to be, quote, told about that. They want to be able to see it and experience it and hear the stories of that. And I think that has been a shift in how I'm holding the sharing. And I'm also really conscious that I've only been writing a few times. Like I'm still, you know, it's still this baby inside of me, this little seed that's like, I don't know. Um, but I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm much clearer. And so a lot of it is about now stripping away parts of my days um, and responsibilities and, and shifting them you know, to turn them towards this. Beautiful. I mean, my gosh, Marla, what you just spoke could be a prayer. I feel like it is a prayer. Thank you. I have one more question before I want to honor your time. Uh, I have one more question before we uh, close together, which is, yeah. What is bringing you abject, unadulterated joy right now? I would say my life. <laughs> you Best know? answer ever. Yeah, like I'm really good. Like I'm, I'm finding this flow that feels really authentic to me where I'm minimizing the overdoing. I'm turning up the play. I'm turning up the music, the the skating, the uh, doing something every day for myself physically, whether like, you know, yesterday was just a 10 minute core class, right? Like a Peloton uh, working on my core, right? <laughs> Today it was like a, a 30 minute walk. The day before was a 30 minute yoga class. Like just, so I feel like I'm finding joy in living into the possibility of what I wanted. Mm, thank you so much, Marla. Thank you. Just beautiful to be with you and such a um, privilege to hear you tell your story. Mm, So thank you. Keep telling it. I am thrilled that there is the possibility of a longer form storytelling in front of you. That's thank you. I'm excited and scared. (laughs) As somebody who's finishing a book right now, it is so hard, but it is so worth it. It's just Mm. like this beautiful um, gift that you give to yourself about the fact that you're worth it and your story is worth it. Thank you so much, Marla. Thanks so much, love. So Mm. great to be in Sisterhood with you. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. The Collaborative Alchemy podcast is made possible with monthly micro-donations from this community. If you like what you hear, please join us at patreon.com backslash Sarah Greenman.